0: Right, I was wrong about the first song saying everything it needed. Or the second song. Song number four has got some pretty good lyrics too. so if We could take song two and song four and make one song. You'd have everything you need. I titled this morning Perplexed. Have you been reading? This book at all, we've kind of transitioned a little bit last week. We're calling the second half of the book his noble pursuit. He's still in pursuit. He's he's still this side of the sun. He's still grabbing smoke and fog and you know all that. I even thought about this week. I didn't want to, to go to that extreme. You know, y'all, little small Baptist church, y'all would have had a heart attack. But I thought about like filling the whole room with smoke. <laughs> as I walked up on stage and like just had people try to start grabbing it. Because that's what that's what he's writing about. He's saying it's it's like trying to grab. Smoke, it's, it's it's something that you see it, it's there, it's real, but you can't, you just can't put your hands on it. And it's perplexing him. So I titled this morning, Perplexed. You know, you read this chapter, and if you read the whole chapter, if you were with us last week, man, it's confusing. This guy's all over the place. You know, and you're like, well, he's been all over the place, the whole journal. I agree. You know, but but, but like this this chapter right here where he starts to transition, man, he gets into some some compliple- contemplated. He gets some contemplated questions going, you know what I'm saying? Like, so complicated, that's how we got to change the word to. Oh, I can't believe I was able to say it wrong three times. That's good. So, so like, I thought of, like, some of our perplexing questions. So, y'all tell me if y'all have ever thought of any of these. I just got a couple to make sure, like, I'm not the only one. And then I really laughed this morning as I watched uh, Jessica and Matthew back there changing, uh, changing the baby. And Because my first question is this. Why do we say things like, man, I slept like a baby last night? That's the stupidest phrase you could ever say. How many of y'all ever had a baby? How many of y'all's babies slept a whole night through without waking you up from the very beginning and it was wonderful and peaceful? How many of y'all's babies you up every two hours no matter what with aggravating things that you didn't get no sleep in the beginning? So why do we say phrases like, I slept like a baby last night when a baby wakes up every two hours? Just, just a thought. I don't have perplexing questions. Maybe this one. <laughs> how in the world do the deer know to cross exactly where the highway department put that yellow sign that says deer crossing? Right? I mean, how do they know that? How is there always like a trail right there that they just walk across and they put this sign up so the deer know where they can cross safely? And They don't, right? More importantly, what is the greatest thing since sliced bread? I just want to know. We use the phrase all the time, man, that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, what was the greatest thing before sliced bread? Because I want to experience it. And if it's cheese, I've experienced every flavor of cheese there is. My wife loves it. Maybe this one. I thought of that one. This, this this one this week at the very end, so it's not as not as not as perplexed. Maybe, but is there any difference between partly cloudy and partly sunny? Right? These are perplexing questions. Look at verse fifteen. Had just read it, and he starts with this perplexing idea. In my feudal life. He's, he's, he's getting a little more noble in this pursuit. He's, he's understanding how little he is in the big scheme of things and his mindset. He said, I've seen everything. Someone righteous perishes in spite of his righteousness and someone wicked lives long in spite of his evil. What, what he's saying is I'm perplexed now because I don't understand why a good man dies early and an evil person gets to live longer. I, I'm confused on like what, what's going on here. And I think like this, this, this preacher, and, and here's one thing I'll give Solomon. I don't know about you guys, but, but I love this journal because of how honest it is. I've hated preaching it, to be honest with you. I've hated preparing each week. I've hated reading over everything so many times. I've hated some of his ideas and how sad and mopey a lot of it is. But in reality, I love his honesty. He ain't trying to sugarcoat nothing. He's not trying to paint some super religious picture. He's telling you exactly like it is. Hey, man, in life. Good people going to die too soon, and for some strange reason, wicked people get to keep on living. And he says straight up, like, I, I don't understand it. I don't know why it's this way. Now, he doesn't try to stay away from those questions. He hits the hard ones, and he continues to bring them up. I don't know about you, but once I hit, like, a hard question, if I don't get the answer, like, I, I stay away from that question the rest of the time, you know? This guy just keeps going back to it. And he's honest. He's honest in his thoughts about it. He's honest in his pursuit about it. He's honest in his findings about it. It's almost like he knew, or, or the Lord knew as he inspired these words so many years ago, like he knew what, what Wilson was going to pray just a minute ago. Like, Lord, why do we feel like we got to hide our thoughts? Why do we feel like we need to hide our emotions? Why, why do we feel like you're, you're the king of the world, you're creator of everything, yet you're not big enough to handle my feelings? Is that really the kind of God that you serve? Like, he's not big enough to handle your feelings? If he can't handle your feelings, how's he going to handle your shortcomings? Right? How's, how's he going to handle your, your faults and your mistakes and your your, your, your your character flaws? Let me ask you a couple more questions while we're on this thing of question. And we, we call the first one, like, a, if you ever play baseball, like, you know, the coach who's warming you up, like, he gives you easy ones to hit in the beginning. You know, he wants to get you in that flow. He, you call it a softball pitch. You know, because it's it, it's high, and it's slow. So as long as as long as you got any kind of coordination, you can normally make contact with it, right? So so here's your softball bitch. Is it good to pursue good things? This is where you say yes or no. Okay, because if you don't answer, I'll stay up here longer, and you won't get lunch, right? So is it good to pursue good things? Like like is it good to pursue God? Is it good to pursue wisdom, good character, righteousness? Of course. All right, now let's get a little little faster pitch, right? However, does this pursuit alone guarantee success? Does this pursuit alone guarantee insulation from trials? Does this pursuit alone protect you from difficult circumstances? And that's where Solomon's at. Solomon's saying, like, it's good to pursue good things. But as he gets to chapter seven, guys, and this thing transitions into a noble pursuit now, he's understanding, like, the pursuit alone isn't enough. The pursuit alone doesn't guarantee anything. He comes to terms in, in what was it, verses 23 and 24, like, he comes to terms today day with, like, I've been pursuing all this stuff, and then he says it straight up, like, but I still don't get it. I still don't understand it. I, I, I still can't fully wrap my, my arms around it. Which, for me, I'm thinking, like, when he gets to those verses and he says that, I'm thinking, like, like we all know nobody could ever beat Muhammad Ali, really, right, in his prime. Y'all on y'all terms with that? Nobody could in his prime, right? So if I was to tell you, like, so-and-so could have wiped the floor with Muhammad Ali in his prime, what would that tell you about so-and-so? You stay the heck away from so-and-so. Because because if he will write the floor with Muhammad Ali, which was the greatest, there ain't no way I want to go toe-to-toe with him right or if i was to tell you like we'll use joe like joe is actually faster than usain bolt who in here don't amen that's a lie straight from me all right i've seen joe move (laughs) but but who then would line up after church and be like you know what joe let's go let's race nobody what what if I was to tell you like Jeremiah could school Michael Jordan on the basketball court? I should have used Johnny because me and Johnny's on the same page with Michael Jordan, right? Sorry, Jeremiah, you guys over there. Like like Johnny's, Johnny was a Bulls fan for Jordan, right? So so like so like yeah, Johnny in his prime, man. Oh, he he'd have dribbled around Michael Jordan in his prime and scored him, outscored him two to one. Now who wants to throw down a hundred dollar bill in the gym and and play Johnny in basketball? Nobody. And then we get to Solomon, who scripture writes, is the wisest guy of his time. And he tells you straight up, I've tested all this. Verse 23, I've tested all this by wisdom. I've resolved. I will be wise. I want to search this thing. I want to be the best I can. Right. But but it is read the last part, but it is beyond me. What exists, verse 24, what exists is beyond reach and and very deep. Who can discover it? So I use our illustration with basketball and and racing and and boxing and all. If the wisest guy ever, of course, next to Jesus, couldn't get it, what makes you think you're going to get it? But yet we keep asking really hard questions that we don't understand. And I love his blatant honesty, like you're not. You know, go get it right. And as he writes this thing in Ecclesiastes, he he's saying like a lot of people are going to deceive themselves into thinking certain ways. And one of the ways he gets to right after he he starts this thing about righteousness and wickedness, he says one of the ways people deceive themselves is they think like if I live right, then God has to bless me. Like if I do the right thing, then God has to clear my path. He's got to limit all the potholes. He's got to make it as great as it can be. But it don't take you long that he comes up, comes forth with this, this honest truth. This, this thinking, this thinking is going to lead you into some crazy frustration. It's going to drive you nuts. And here's why. Here's what he says. Something you need to, to make sure you get a hold of in verse 18. I'm going to call it divine perspective. Because in verse 18, he says, it's good that you can grasp one and not let go of the other from your hand. For the one who fears God is going to end up with both. Like, he's writing, and he's saying, like, you got this idea that God is obligated to do something the way you think he ought to do it because you do something the way that, that you want to do it. And in verses 15 through 18, he's going to point out some some dangers. And, and, and the first danger, which is probably one of our biggest problems and Solomon's biggest complaint, is this, this meaningless to life or this meaningless life is that good people keep on suffering. The wicked people keep on being wicked. And he says it's, it's really not fair. He says as we struggle with these, these questions of suffering and prosperity and, and, and all this, we're going to fall into one of two extremes most of the time. One is this. We're going to try harder in an attempt to force God's hand. We're going to be, as he calls it in some translations, super righteous. He says if you just be overly righteous... Now, I know at the beginning, you read this thing, and you're like, is he saying, like, it's, it's good to be a little righteous and a little wicked? Like, what, what's he mean when he says, don't be overly this? and don't, Well, what's he, the key word is overly, right? He's, he's not saying don't be righteous, and he's, 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 he's not saying you should be wicked. He uses the word overly. So when he uses this word overly, he's saying, like, you're going you're gonna to get to an attempt because of your lack of understanding of suffering and prosperity and all the, all the real-life stuff that's going on this side of the sun, you're going to get to an attempt where like you think you can try harder and force God to do something. You're going to be overly righteous, overly religious. Or number two, you're going to give up and pursue wickedness. You're just going to figure out, like, I'll just, if it doesn't matter, why should I? So the two truths, don't be arrogant in your righteousness, but don't be deliberate in your wickedness. Don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wise. Don't be overly wicked. Don't be, don't be overly foolish. And he talks about his things. And, and here's what here's here's why I think he's getting to this part. And we're going to go to a couple different things on on all this all these verses today, right? But but here's the main thing I think he's getting. I think he's saying that people can pursue these things apart from God. Like I asked at the beginning, is it is it good to pursue good things? We all said yes. But does the pursuit of those things guarantee? what you wanted out of those things. No, because a lot of times we'll pursue good things with wrong motives. And what he's saying out here, when he keeps using this word overly and overly and overly, and I think he's trying to give us a heads up here about where we're going. He says, people can pursue all these things, but they pursue them independently of the Holy Spirit. They pursue them independently of God himself. And because of their wrong motives, those, those motives, those reasons that people continue to pursue these, these good things, They believe the pursuit of the good things is going to isolate them from life's, as we said last week, suck. And the problem with that, though, guys, is when you study and you read that and you believe that and you begin to make that your your theology and your belief is that when you become a good person morally and life still has the suck, it's going to knock you down. Because you're thinking, oh, I was good. I shouldn't have to deal with that. When you need to realize, like, we, I think we've said it for a couple weeks now, like, like the key of Ecclesiastes is that God's at the mountain peaks and God's at the valleys. It's the consistency of God through all of it. Not just at the good as some people are pursuing. Not just the idea, well, if I go to church, if I light enough candles, if I say enough prayers, then God will owe me and he'll make my path great. Solomon, he's calling, he's calling us to check our motives. And he's saying, look, guys, if that's the way you think, you're going to be really, disappointed because it ain't going to go your way you don't have the right and the means you don't even have the possibility to manipulate god to give you good circumstances so he says righteous super righteousness overly righteousness it's destructive because one of the fruits that overly righteousness produces is pride you get proud and the attitude of pride and you think that means god owes me because of what i've accomplished well, here's the reality. Pride destroys humility before God. It's why I believe the very first thing when Jesus began his preaching at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, his very first beginning was, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's that attitude thing. It's that check thing. I, I believe this. I believe humility begins and reinforces a right relationship. And I believe you could use that spiritually, vertically speaking, with the, with the Father and horizontally with the world. If you get humble before God, that, that's the best. That's the only way to really begin a relationship with him. You humble yourself, and then it reinforces that relationship throughout the whole time you're in a relationship with him. God, I'm humble. Like, I'm, I'm broken. Like, I'm. this is where I'm at. God, I don't have to hide in my prayers because you're not big enough to handle them. Like, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. And you're going to be able to take care of it. And I'm going to get to a moment where I can be like David in Psalm 32, where I can just cheer at how awesome God is in handling all my stuff. Right? You need something to read this. We read Psalm 32 and just, just worship with David. Worship with him at, at, at the, the realization of God taking care of things. Right? You want a good relationship this side of, of the sun? Humility. Begin it with honesty. Be, begin it with openness. Let, let, let people know where you stand and who you are. Solomon gets to, gets to chapter 7, verse 17, and, and he refers to this overly wicked. Now, I read a bunch of stuff this week and people were like, oh, that means like you can be a little bit wicked, but not a lot like liquid, liquid, wicked. You shouldn't be liquid or wicked, right? You're a solid, you're a solid person in life. Man, the words of the day. Of, of course, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying like it's OK to be a little bit wicked. He's just saying like, guys, we're already flawed and I know we're already flawed. Look at, look at what he said in verse 20 for there's not a just man on earth who does good and doesn't sin. He's giving you almost like his sermon in the first three verses. And then he's going to go back, verse 20 that we just read, he's going to go back and tell you like how he got to that conclusion. And part of how he gets to the conclusion on, on why righteous people still have to go through some stuff is because the reality is this, not a one of us are perfect. Not a one of us are pure. Not a one of us don't have fault. Not a one of us don't deserve some stuff, whether we want to admit it that way or not and he's bold enough to say like as I've searched and I found like there really isn't a perfect person out there who doesn't struggle with with sin and that's when he gets to 23 and 24 and he says man I I just don't understand it no more I just I just don't get it he's not he's not trying to advise us and counsel us into to adding sin he's he's warning us to choose against sinning deliberately because look at what he says he says guys if you if you do it deliberately it's highly likely to lead to to death it's highly likely to lead to to more. Right? You you ever heard somebody say, and please tell me you're not the one. If you are the one, don't, don't raise your hand and admit it. You ever gave the advice when somebody was going through something and you could look at them and say it could get worse? Because here's what happens if you're dumb enough to use that phrase. Something's gonna happen in that person's life and it's gonna get worse. And they're all they're gonna picture and think of is I remember when so and so said it couldn't get, or it could be worse. And they're going to hear that over and over and over again. You know, like your buddy just has a a small problem on a vehicle and can't get no worse. It can. (laughs) And then it does. And then it does again. And then it does again. Or, you know, a thing in your relationship or a thing in life and you you lose this or you lose that or this happens or that happens. It, it, It could be. No, just stay away from that. Right. Solomon's saying like if you continue to be overly wicked, like wickedness is wrong, we got a problem with it. There's a struggle with it, but but if you get overly into it, <laughs> it can be worse. See see the problem we asked the wrong question. The problem isn't necessarily like why this? It's why not this? Why shouldn't a good man have to go through some stuff? He's fallen. He's got mistakes. We live in a fallen world. Some sin, that's that's inevitable. We we dwell with it. We we go through it. And he's saying like if you want to really if you want to really make sure you can be part of God's kingdom, then stop. Stop being overly wicked. Stop letting sin control you. He says it's good. Verse 18. It's good that you grasp this and not remove your hand from the other. The revised English translation says it a little bit more clearly. It says it's good to hold on to the one thing and not lose hold of the other. Well, what's he really referring to? Hold on to one thing. I think he's referring to holding firmly to the to the council, not being super righteous. All right, I realize like, i got to have the right motives in this pursuit. But don't lose hold of the other. He's saying, I also want to make sure you don't lose your grip in restraining from, from sinning. In other words, maybe an easy way to say it is this. Don't lose the character you've already built. Don't lose how far you've already come. Yes, even the good got faults and even the good got problems and all that. But don't, don't lose what you've already established. Don't, don't, don't lose what you've already done. But make sure what you're building is building on the right foundation. The right motives. Make sure you pursue righteousness, not for your own benefit, but for what God wants to get out of it. Maybe now's a good time to make sure like we all understand, like, because we pursue this thing for salvation. I think sometime on our own, maybe we need to understand like, like a loving God actually already provided a way for you to be made righteous. And it's not in your own pursuits. It's in his son. It's it's in his sacrifice on, on the cross. It's in him taking the payment for, for what really. We should have been paying for it's it's the message of the gospel in reality. And God doesn't want you pursuing righteousness on your own. He wants you to trust in the righteousness that's already been provided for you and live in that. How deceptive your sin nature is into thinking that that you can do it on your own. God says, look, man, that's that's a really bad thing. If you think you can do it on your own and you think you can do it without me, you'll you'll start hiding stuff from me or trying to. I don't know how you actually hide anything from from God. Right. But but he says that this should be rejected. You come up with your own. If you come up with your own, then you quit trusting in me. Maybe we should all get to a little 23 and 20, verse 23 and 24 problem where we do realize, you know, I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. I can't figure out how it's going to go. But because I don't get it all, I'm not going to quit believing. I'm just going to start trusting. And I think that's part of what's going to happen for Solomon as he gets to this part. Like, he's going to realize through this noble pursuit, and it's going to take him a couple more chapters, but he realizes, like, I, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I can't explain it. You know, could you imagine writing this big old journal and going through all the, the trials and the tests and experiments with everything and then having to say at the end, like, I, I didn't really get all the answers out of it. I didn't, I didn't, really, I didn't really get it. I know there's a problem if we pursue righteousness on our own standard. I know there's a problem if we, we continue to live wickedly on purpose. Like, like, I understand there's a problem in all that, but I'm don't I don't fully I'm not fully able to give you the, the answers. That's when it becomes a trust issue. Well, then am I going to trust God and am I going to trust what he says? Or am I going to keep thinking I can manipulate God by pursuing things my own way? As I'm, as I'm studying, here's, here's a thought that came to me this week. I think one of the biggest, and and I'm not saying sin isn't our biggest uh, battle being spiritual. I think that one's obvious for all of us. But I think for a lot of believers, the, the biggest enemy to spirituality is morality. And here's why. Because you think you can be good enough. You think you can act good enough. You think you can speak a certain way. You think you can look a certain way on the outside. You think you can present some kind of flavor for everybody else. Without nothing on the inside ever changing, so it just becomes a big old show. And when it becomes a big old show, all, all you're doing is checking yourself, like, "Well, did I did I quit saying those words? Did I did I quit getting drunk? Did I quit doing drugs?" Like you got this this checklist of the outside stuff, without anything on the inside ever changing. Your motives. If we're not empowered by the Spirit of God, then everything we accomplish on our own strength is morality and not spirituality. So the greatest. Enemy to spirituality sometimes is morality. It's thinking that we've done good enough or we're not as, as bad as we used to be. It's why I, th- I think believers ought to have this, this standard for sin that is so much higher than other people. You know, you, you hear people all the time where, like, if you, you fell and it was just a, just a small little trip up, and, and they use the phrase, well, that wasn't as bad as, like, it could have been. No, I don't want my standard to be as bad as it could have been. I want my standard, I, I want to set it like, like where the Lord wants it to be. You know, where he talks about thoughts and attitudes and concerns and and all that kind of stuff. Because Romans chapter 6 teaches very very clearly that you have to be spiritual in order to obey. Not the reverse. We try to obey to be spiritual. And and Paul writes and he says, that's out of order, guys. You're you're messing it up. When you're not trusting in the resource of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, then you're trying to do righteousness on our own. You're trying to set a standard on your own rather than relying on the Lord. What it should be, you, you want a good test as a spiritual believer? Let trial hit you. Let trial hit you. Let some circumstances knock you off your feet, right? And see which way your mind goes first. Does it go vertical or does it go horizontal? Does it go into self-pity? Or, or does it go straight to vertical and like, Lord, what is it? Now, this is bold and this is hard. I'm not saying it's going to happen all the time. But can you go straight to vertical and be like, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me? What, what is it in this trial that you're trying to use to draw me closer to you? What is it through this? that you had planned out that was going to be a benefit for my walk with you and my walk with others. What What is it, Lord? That's that's getting bold. When you can ask God, like, God, what? what is it? See, the problem is we want to do the opposite all the time. We hit a trial, we hit a tribulation, and we, Lord, I've been going to church for 30 days in a row now. Lord, I got 30 Sundays in last year. 30 of them, Lord, that's more than half. Lord, I, I I said some prayers. Lord, I, I read a Bible verse every morning that came to me on my phone. I don't understand, Lord, how I can do all those things, and yet you can still let this happen to me. You see the difference? See the difference? Get vertical, man. Get vertical in your understanding. Now, and, and, and here's Paul's point. Don't think that just because you pursue a certain path of life, everything's going to work out all right because you're going to get shocked. It's going it's it's to surprise you. Quit thinking God's obligated. God ain't obligated by us. What? not obligated by anything from us. He uses this word wisdom in the middle right here, and it makes me think, like, so righteousness, like wisdom, it's a good thing, yet both of them, if we pursue them independently of the Lord, can be a waste of time. You can't get a hold of them like, they, like grabbing smoke, right? So so ask yourself, like, as we we talk about this pursuit, is your pursuit for personal benefit? The word that he uses in the verse when he says if you pursue all this stuff, it'll lead to ruin. The word ruin is, is, is a word in Hebrew that actually talks about like being lost, wandering around lost. So I think it's more than like just, not. he's not talking about like it ruining you physically. He's ruining your life to death wise. He's saying like you're mentally going to be distraught. You're going to be lost. Like if this is your pursuit and thinking this is going to be it when it really hits you. So how, how many of us, really, let's just be honest. How many of us could really care less if God was in the situation if he just answered the situation for us? How about that for honesty, right? God, I don't really care if you're there. I don't really care if you're going to teach me to point. I just want to know like what is it you wanted me to do here? Like what is it the, the 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 what what's the answer? How many of us could really look back and say like, "God, I don't know if you're involved. I don't even care if you're involved. I just I just want to know what the right answer was." That's a pursuit for horizontal, not for vertical. That's a pursuit for personal gain, not for the other. So so here's the command. Don't expect that in your righteousness God's going to spare you from suffering. And don't assume that in your wickedness that you're going to go unpunished. Right? Here's what he does here. Now now we can get to (laughs) some more sections, right? The one who fears God trusts him even when the righteous suffer. That's tough. The one who fears God trusts him even when the wicked prosper. That's tough. But the man who fears God, he doesn't let confusing circumstances shake him from his steadfastness. And Solomon says, that's that's my pursuit. I'm pursuing. I'm I'm chasing. And, and, you know, that's the problem with fear. Fear says, I can't handle stuff. You know, you get in a bad situation and fear says, well, I I just can't handle that. So you crash and you give up. Well, I'm done. I'm not good at handling that. So I just, I don't like that kind of situation. So I just stay in a situation. Faith says he already handled it. Faith says he got it, and if he got it and he lives inside of me, then, then maybe I can be a tool or a vessel that he uses to accomplish it, right? So Solomon gives us these this sermon, this point, but then he, then he goes back and tells us like where he's getting this point from. So he says in verse 19, which hopefully this now adds some, some understanding to a lot of it. He says in verse 19 through 22, he says that this wise man, even this side of the sun, even this side of the sun idea, he's going to appreciate the value of wisdom. So much so to, what what does he say, like more than ten rulers in a city? But then right after that, he says, there's not a just man on earth who does good and doesn't sin. I think as he's talking about a wise man, he says this, like in in reality, a wise man understands the sinfulness of himself and that he's got to deal with some of it. It's it's no longer about what the the good guy doesn't deserve. It's, man, I'm so grateful that God doesn't give me what I deserve. Right? Right? Then verse 21, don't pay attention to everything people say. Here's the reality, guys. There's a bunch of haters in this world, right? And the social media has made that even worse. And what he's writing and he's saying is you, you can't let everything you hear somebody say about you ruin your whole life. Don't pay attention to everything people say. Or you may hear your servant cussing. You may, you may hear him talking trash about you. You may, you may hear him. And you may take it too seriously. Well, the reality is our mouths speak fast. So whether it's what somebody meant or whether it's somebody didn't mean, the reality is they're, going to, they're going to say something before they thought about it. And Solomon's trying to write, and he says, you, you don't want to hold what somebody blurted out in an emotional vomit against them forever. Right? That's, that's useless. So so really he's trying to give some good advice, some practical advice. And, and hear me, believers, for some good, good wisdom right here. He's saying this, that believers, got to be talking to believers because we're the only ones that can handle us the right way, right? They should sometimes, if not often, simply overlook unkind, thoughtless things that other people say and do. And here's why. Because we wouldn't want to be judged by our worst moments. So why should we judge others for their worst moments? Because look at what he finishes with. Right? 22, for in your heart, don't you know that many times you yourself curse somebody else? How many how many people don't like when somebody talks trash about them? How many of you like wish you could kind of go go get them, right? Well, I can get to the bottom of this and find out what's up, right? But how many times have you talked trash about somebody else behind their back? Solomon's saying, how you gonna hate what somebody else is doing when you yourself do it all the time? Right, When you yourself are mimicking and going through the same thing. We don't like it, but we do it. He, he's calling us to, to check ourselves, man. We, we, we were called to check our motives in our pursuit of righteousness. Now we're being called to, to check our motives in the way we handle people and what they say about us. And he's saying, like, I want to make sure you understand, like, you shouldn't give it too much weight because it's just some words that somebody said. But he does understand, like, it hurts. In reality, you don't like it. But also in reality, you kind of do the same thing to other people. So maybe we should all check ourselves and make sure we're right. Then verse 23, 23 through 25, where we'll spend a little bit more time. All this I've proved by wisdom. I will be wise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek out the best I can. Look at 23. But it was far from me. He's saying my desire to be wise was not fulfilled with true wisdom. My, my search, it didn't actually give me all the answers I, I really wanted. And I think he says that at this point because he's understanding up until now, he's been seeking this out through worldly wisdom. He, he hadn't been checking verses and checking scripture and, and praying and seeking God for any of this stuff. He, he's been experimenting himself. For seven chapters, six chapters at least, he told us, like, I've tried money, I've tried food, I've tried parties, I've tried women, I've tried friends, I've tried building stuff. I tried everything I get. I bought new cars. I bought new. I bought new chariots. I bought new horses. I, I got it all. I got so much stuff. I had to build a whole new a whole new house to hold all my toys in. Right? And when you got a thousand women. I don't know how many baby mamas that equals out to, but how many houses do you have to get them? How many condos you have to buy them? Like he, he's he's accumulated a lot of stuff through worldly wisdom, and yet it ain't did nothing for him in the long run. So he says in twenty six through twenty nine. As, he, as he's, he's continuing to search, he's continuing to be honest. And now the reality is this. Let's talk about the sinfulness of man. And I think 26 through 29 tell us how he come to the conclusion of 15 through 18. In reality, he's saying it was the sinfulness of man. That's the reason righteous go quicker and wicked get to live longer. It's a sin problem. It's not a God problem. It's, it's a world problem. At first glance, <laughs> when you read this, this whole section seems like out of context, doesn't it? Anybody read it this week and they're like, all right, Solomon, you like, you, what'd you like, sit there and you were thinking about one of your ex-girlfriends and like randomly like switch pages here? Like what, what did this? Because look at what he says, 26 to 29. I know it's been a minute since we heard it, so I'm going to go back to it. He says, and I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap. He says this after talking about searching out. What's he trying to say like, guys, I've searched wisdom. Here's the one lesson I learned. (laughs) He just said in 23 and 24, like, I ain't figured nothing else out. But what I did figure out was you should stay away from women. Is that his big lesson? Is that where he's going? Did, Did he magically turn into the most sexist guy in the world? Her heart is a net. And her hands are chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner, he'll be captured. Look, says the teacher, talking about the preacher himself saying it. I have discovered by adding one thing to another, you find out the explanation, which my soul continually searches for, but he still ain't found it. Still don't understand it. I found one person in a thousand. I found one guy out of a thousand that was good. Maybe he's exaggerating. Maybe this next phrase is because he had a thousand women in his life. Because what does he say next? Right? He said, but none was a woman. He said, I done tried a thousand different girls and wasn't one of them was. Now, before you women start hating on Solomon, I'm going to hate on him first. Because I'm thinking this. If you done tried a thousand women and not a one of them turned out to be good, you've been hanging around trash. You know what I'm saying? Like if you tell me, I'm going to be honest on the first part, one of my boys come home and they tell me, dad, I got a thousand friends, but ain't a one of them good. Then you're an idiot. You've been picking the wrong friends. You need to find some new people. I look at Solomon writing this thing, and I'm going to get to a little bit more of what he means too now, so hang with me on it. But I look at what he's writing, I'm like, hold on. All the people you surrounded yourself with and you ain't found one that was good? Man. You want to know where this comes from? Here, here's two options. I think both are applicable, by the way. I think Solomon, as he's writing this journal and he's, he's checking this thing out and he's going through the search of wisdom, now he starts, because remember, he's honest. This is a testimony, a lot of it. So this is personal. And I think he realizes, man, while I was searching for wisdom, It got interrupted a lot of times by some unwise choices I made regarding women. I mean, you don't develop a thousand women, whether it be however many wives and however many concubines. You don't develop that many by being in pursuit of the wrong thing. Okay? And he's admitting, like, I was searching out this wisdom, and yet all these relationships has led me astray. So there's a warning, a warning in your relationships, right? He understood, and here's how he writes it. He understood this, and I think this is is going to be part of our second meeting, right? He understood that that, that women really can be a danger and a trap for a man. (laughs) Right? But what he also says is it's important not to let this happen, guys. He who pleases God, look what he says, he who pleases God will be able to escape her. Now, this is still on the first idea. And we don't know exactly when Solomon wrote this, but we know Solomon wrote it. I wish we knew the exact year this was written cuz like I think back to 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 4 where it says for it was so that when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart over to other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. And like what was it after that? You know, there's, there's a, a large group to think Ecclesiastes was this, this very last writing of Solomon and this was, this was his journal at the very end and this was his repentance and evidence that he turned his heart back to God. Well, well in that case, if, if that's the case, I'm not saying it is, I'm just saying that's an idea. If that's the case, th- then Solomon's saying, like, I understood my error and I turned away from it. But for those who are unsure about his repentance, then maybe this was written earlier in his life and he was too dumb to learn from his own mistakes. Was Solomon one who pleased God in escaping the trap, or was he one that stayed in the trap? All depends on the year it was written, right? I thought about it this week while Preston had this great idea to catch this rat at the shop. I mean, he, he, he's developed this thing, man. He's, he's gotten into it, right? Like he he goes and he gets this five-gallon bucket and he, he builds this little plank for him to walk on and he and he sets it up with some wire and he sets some cheese on it. Oh, he's got it, man. He, he's going to get on this thing. That rat's going to walk down this thing. It's going to fall into this bucket. He's going to be there the next morning and Preston's going to have him a new friend. That's the goal, right? He set the trap. He set the trap. We come in the next morning. I'm not, well, first let me tell you this. I thought he was crazy, I thought it was foolish. I thought he was chasing smoke, right? But he done study these rats. You know, he was one of them weird people that had rats as a pet when he was young. And, you know, so he's like, I can tell you exactly how they work, and I can do this, and, and I can get them, and, and all this. And I'm like, all right, sure, man, sure. We come in the next day, there's mouse poo in the five-gallon bucket. So that means the mouse got in the bucket. But that also means he got out the bucket. Scripture says a wise man might get in a trap, but he gets out of it. That's a wise rat. Right? Because some of the women in the rooms thinking, yeah, but you're still a rat if you got in the bucket to begin with. <laughs> Amen. I agree with you. I ain't denying the fact. I'm just saying we're going to be smarter rats. Right? Because here's my thought. Then I transition. I'm like, Preston, that was so cool, boy. I never would have thought it would have worked. You got mouse poo in the bucket. You know, who's excited about mouse poo in a bucket? I'm like, we got him, man. Set the same trap up. Let's do it again this weekend, and, and we'll rig this thing up. We're like, then Preston tells me this. You won't catch him with the same trap again. And y'all laugh about it like we still talking about a rat, but let me be honest with you. We talk about scripture. How dumb are we to get caught with the same trap again? A rat, a little fuzzy rodent that I'd like to, Ugh! that's a nasty thing. Who wants to catch one of them and keep it, right? God bless you, right? That nasty little thing still has enough intelligence in that little Peabody brain that's inside that little Peabody head to know not to fall for the same trap again. Lord, don't answer out loud, but are you that smart? You smart enough not to fall for the same trap again? You smart enough to stay the heck away from the trap that done got you once, right? Right? Now, let me paint this thing just a little bit different way for you. And I do think all that applies. I think it's 100%. But I kept studying because I said there's got to be something else Solomon's saying. here. There's got to be something more Solomon's doing. And during this whole time, I've tried not to share too much because I don't know where we're going on our next series. But during this time, like I've looked at, at Song of Solomon. Every man ought to love that book, right? Word. Choo-choo, thank you, Lord. Um, but then, like, I, I've been looking at Proverbs because Solomon wrote that too. And here, here's here's why I want you to stay with me. Because to fully know what Solomon's talking about, I think you've got to know Solomon a little bit. And Solomon gets to the book of Proverbs, which I think everybody's probably read something in. But throughout the whole book of Proverbs, he starts talking about wisdom and adulterous woman. A wise woman and an adulterous woman. And he says, if you have the adulterous woman, and then you have this virtuous woman, they're in contrast to one another. Right. Then you have this this wise mother and you have this 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 wife, this loving wife. And and he compares a lot of stuff throughout the the writing of Proverbs to him. So much to the point like I I began to think like this week when I was beginning, it's funny, Lord, bring you back to Proverbs, because I was thinking about like this chapter, like I love his honesty in it. I love the realness in it. I love that. I love that he fails. Right. Because because I've fallen. I failed. Like I I pursued things that I don't understand and don't get. Right? And, I, and I'm with him. But I think like back to, to Crystal like Proverbs thirty one. She tell me that that ooh. You ask a woman, like, how you like the Proverbs thirty one woman? Oh, she's fake. She's a phony. There ain't no way a woman actually does all that with joy in her heart and, and all that. You know, like like that's that's the idea. So like like it's this it's this made up character. At least some people want to think so. But he, but he does all this. Here, here's what, here, here let, me, let me paint it this way. I know I'm getting off on a tangent. I, pro, I apologize. Proverbs chapter 9, 1 through 6, he talks about this woman. Now let me just read what he says, and you come to your own conclusion about where we're going to go, right? He says, wisdom has built her house. She's, she's made it out of seven pillars. She's prepared her food. She's mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is looking, let him come to me. To him who likes understanding, she says, come and eat some of my food and and drink the wine that, that I've mixed. Now, is he actually talking about a woman here? No, he's talking about wisdom. He just uses all the the female adjectives to to throw in there. He's saying like this: this woman, this wisdom, she's this woman, and she 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 does it the right way. She she prepares all this stuff, and she she brings you in, and she wants to give you all the all the answers that you're searching for. But then, then there's this Proverbs nine thirteen through eighteen, the other woman. If you take notes, you should write down right now. Then there's the other woman, All right? Sound like a movie title. 13 through 18, it says the woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive. She knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house. She sits at the high place of the city. She's calling all those who pass by her, trying to make paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn here. Him who lacks understanding, she says, come here. Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now he's talking about the other woman. Is he talking about a woman or is he talking about foolishness? Now it's foolishness, folly. He's describing these two as women, and, and, and here's where I'm kind of thinking. like I, I don't know if Solomon really was thinking back on his life. And maybe he used the the whole thing with women over and over because they did play such a big part of his life and his learning experiences, right? But when he writes right here and he kind of just transitions at the end of this chapter into talking about a wise woman and a foolish woman and all this stuff, and you should stay away from this and you should not get caught in this trap and all this, maybe he's thinking about something he also wrote in Proverbs where he's like, there's this wise woman who provides for her guests, who grants them understanding. But at the same time, there's there, there, there's this boisterous woman. There's this folly woman. There's this loud woman. She's the adulterous woman. She entices the naive, and, and she leads them to, to death. She traps them in a bucket that they're not smart enough to get out of. Right? That same poetic understanding, Solomon here, he's writing, and he says in verse 26, as he talks about this, he says, And I discovered more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape her, but the sinner, he's going to be captured. At this point, Solomon's right and he says, I can't explain why the righteous suffer. I can't explain why sometimes it looks like they suffer more than the wicked. The reality is they all suffer. Everybody goes through all kinds of stuff. But I did learn this. You still don't want to try to pursue the path of wickedness. Because the nets and the chains down that path, they lead to a quicker death. They'll hurt you more. Instead of of chasing that, maybe you should just seek to please God, to avoid the the other house altogether. To stay away from the traps that'll, that'll capture you. To be smart enough that if you've tripped up and got in a bucket, to be smart enough to get out the bucket and never go near it again. So he didn't get the full explanation of what he was wanting. He, he didn't fully understand everything. But one lesson he gives us in this chapter is stay the heck away from evil. Stay away from it. Because in my pursuit, verse 28, he says, I can't find. I can't find anybody. The reality is this. I think he's talking about some of the choices he's made. And In reality, he's trying to teach us in, the, in this wise writing, you need to be careful who you pursue and who you keep around you. Let me say that again. You need to be careful who you pursue and who you keep around you. Because Solomon says, I've checked out all my friends, all my people, all my all my women. And out of all of them, I've only found maybe one. One righteous. Man, I, I think the fruitless search that he produces tells us a lot about who he kept around. And this ought to tell us something about relationships, man. If we're seeking relationships with the wrong motives, they're going to lead us down a nasty path where we sit and we're unhappy about the results and we're unhappy with the reality of them. You, you want to have a, man, maybe, maybe Solomon, as he had a hundred, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, he may have had a thousand women, but I don't think he actually had any of them. I don't think he had a real relationship with any of them. Maybe if he'd have found the right woman, the right friend, the good, what, what's he called her? Uh, if you skip forward to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9, he calls her the, the good wife. Do we have nine nine there? I got my Bible open. Let's see if I grabbed it right. Enjoy life with the wife you love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun. Maybe Solomon's now writing, he's like, I don't get to enjoy because I chase things I shouldn't have been chasing. Maybe when he wrote about the Proverbs thirty one woman, he he was writing about a friend's wife. I don't know. Maybe he was tired of his friend bragging about all that his wife was doing. He realized all oh, his wasn't doing. And reality is this. He realized it wasn't a problem in the woman. It was a problem in what he was pursuing. And that same thing works for us, guys. Not just with women, but with everything in life. The problem's not always the problem. The problem is our pursuit of what we found in the pursuit. Right? Right? We've been blinded by sin. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says, We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Solomon gets to the end of this, this section as he starts writing. He says, Here's the simple truth, guys. Wisdom is not a bulletproof vest, but foolishness, foolishness is a magnet for bullets, it's a magnet for problems. Wisdom has its limits, but foolishness, it ain't got nothing. Right? He's saying like, yes, neither one are going to guarantee peace and comfort. Neither one's going to guarantee smooth sailing with no potholes. But if we'll pursue the one ahead of the other, then it'll give us the ability to withstand the potholes, to get out of the buckets and through the traps. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. (laughs) I, for one, am glad to make it through that chapter. Lord, I thank you for your writing. I thank you for Solomon's wisdom, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the the lessons he paints for us, Lord God. But more than being thankful for all that, Lord God, we beg, we ask, we plead that now you'll give us the wisdom, the godly wisdom, the strength, the courage to chase after you. Not for selfish motives, Lord God, not for what we can get out of it, well, Lord God for what it is that you want us to get out of it God what strength are you wanting to provide where are you wanting to train us where are you wanting us to just put on blinders and make sure that we're we're setting our path straight that you have for us God I pray like Solomon realized Lord God. God, we're not going to understand it all but I just pray Lord God that you help us to trust in you As the song said just moments ago, Lord God, I pray that everything else just falls aside. I pray that we see your light. I pray that we're bold enough to raise our hands in the pursuit of you. That your wind and your fire, Lord God, will come and clear away. And it'll make known exactly what it is you expect from each of us, Lord God, to be in a right standing relationship with you for the right reason. In your name we pray.